It's good to see you. Glad you're out on a Memorial Day weekend. And uh, it's always good to have people in church on Memorial Day weekend because I'm always wondering. You know, somebody asks me, sometimes asks me, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor? Never having a weekend off. You know, there's no three day weekends for pastors. So uh, it's good to see that you're here. I'm glad you're with me. <laughs> Well, I'm excited this morning. We are going to finish our series about God's faithfulness in all generations, his heart for parents and for teens. And this morning, I'm going to talk about training youth for adulthood. How many of you remember, maybe you're in the room, but how many of you remember when you were a teen? How many of you enjoyed it? Raise your hand. Yeah? Okay. I'm, I would say I'm like a halfway. I'm like half. Like there were cool things about being a teenager and then there were some not so cool things, right? But as we know, now you're a parent and you're like, I need to train my teens for adulthood and that can be a real challenge in this, in this world. And so uh, I wanna talk about some things this morning, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something different this morning. I've never done this before, um, but I, I recently have been perusing and reading through a really, really good book about training teens for adulthood. And it's, it's out on the table, it's been one of the books out on the table called Faith for Exiles. And this book is uh, written by the president of Barna and Barna is the, the organization that does all that Christian research. Well, interestingly, they've been uh, following about 100,000 teens in the church for 10 years. And this book is the result of those statistics, of those conversations, of those questions, of what does it mean to be a teen in this world? And so I'd like to share with you this morning the results of that study and the five things that teens said would, ha have, would help them and have helped them stay and become, become a follower of Christ, but continue to be a resilient follower of Christ. And so this morning, I, I wanna share those things because I think they're very, very important. Now, the subtitle of this book, Faith for Exiles, is five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Digital Babylon. Now, let me define it for you the way they define it so that we're kind of all on the same page because this is a phrase that they coin in the book but that they are beginning to talk about regularly in their studies. Digital Babylon is a phrase they use to describe our accelerated, complex culture that is marked by three things, phenomenal access, profound alienation, and a crisis of authority. Here's what they have noticed from all of their studies. We have phenomenal access, that's true. The, the digital age has helped us do that. But isn't it interesting that we now have things in our pocket that have the ability to connect us in the most profound ways known to man, and we have become more alienated than any other generation that's lived on the planet. Isn't that interesting? And third, we're noticing a crisis of authority as a result of this digital Babylon. 
Now, in the Bible, this, this is obviously a, a biblical connection here, right? They're making a biblical connection. That in the Bible, Babylon was the, the nation that God rose up in 586 AD. They came and conquered Jerusalem. And uh, what the Babylonians would do, they were, they were kind of smart about this when you think about strategic empire training. Uh, they would take the best of all of the people that they conquered. And most of the time, they would take the best youth. They would take the smartest, the prettiest, the most handsome, the most uh, educated, the ones with aptitude. They would take those and they would take them back to Babylon. Everyone else, they just leave you to fend for your own. So what Babylon would do is they would reindoctrinate you. They take you back to Babylon and they would reindoctrinate you to embrace their values and to serve them and to get the most out of you for themselves. Now we have a great story about this in our Bible, don't we? It's the story of Daniel. Daniel is the story of a young man who, who has great aptitude. The Bible says he's handsome, aptitude, educated. He might have been royal at the time. And he's stuck in this system where he's getting trained by the Babylonian culture and he's being trained and being asked and being told to do things their way and he knows it's not God's way and he and his three buddies, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah or Meshach and Abednego, you may know them by their Babylonian names. Uh, I, I use them by their Hebrew names because Daniel gets to use his Hebrew name and I just felt like the other three got left out. <laughs> but here's what's interesting. In their story, right, their story is the account of how they successfully resisted the culture around them and stayed true to God. And that's exactly what we want to do today because in Babylon, many became it became the unwilling home of the Jews. And I think today, in some ways, digital Babylon is becoming the home, unfortunately, the wanted home of many of us until we see its, its disasters and then it becomes unwilling. The challenge with technology is, is very, very vast and challenging and, and broad. Because on one hand, it's great to just pull out my phone and quickly look up a, rescue, a recipe for barbecue chicken and throw something on the grill. Or to look up who won the Super Bowl in 1972 because I know and my friend doesn't and I want to throw it in his face. Right? Or to watch a YouTube video about how to fix my dryer because it's not heating my clothes. I mean, and it, it's great to talk to my grandma in California in a duo conversation, right? Those things are awesome. Like, I love that part of technology, but it's also creating a crisis of identity in young people. It's become a global platform for bullying. It's accelerated sexual brokenness on a rapid rate. It's become a platform for stealing people's finances and their identity. It's challenged all of us to live in a false world instead of in a real one as we surf through social media and say, oh, I wish I could be like that person. I wish I had their stuff. 
We start to live in this fake world where we just wish we had a whole bunch of likes. That's not real. And it's a platform for the agenda of narcissism that the enemy has for all of us. See, in a digital world, we have everything at our fingertips. And so the world is coming to us. See, on the digital platform, we can take the world and literally bring it to us. Now, here's the problem with that. If God is the center of your life, but you're bringing everything from outside and pushing it into your life, who's going to get pushed out? God is. See, as we bring everything digitally into our world, God gets marginalized and pushed out. And so you and I, if we're going to be resilient followers of Jesus, we've got to figure out how to use all the good parts of technology. Because by the way, think about it for a moment. Can, do you have the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody anywhere in the world digitally? Yes. What a great opportunity, right? So we've got to use the, the right parts of digital media and the right platforms of social media for Christ instead of for the negative things. Now, parents, this is your challenge, right? Like, this is your challenge because to make Jesus the center of your life and of your family culture and structure that you have in your home and to keep Jesus at the center when the world wants you to do the opposite is the challenge you face as a parent today that frankly, I, I didn't experience as much as a kid. I experienced it more as a parent, but as, I, but as a kid, I, I didn't have that. Now here's what's interesting. Our culture, you may have noticed this, our culture has become faith repellent. Have you noticed that? Our culture is now faith repellent, but the word teaches us to be faith resilient. So in their extensive research, they noticed five things that help young people, and these are the things that young people regurgitated to them to help them become resilient followers of Jesus Christ. The first one is experiencing intimacy with Jesus. It's the first thing. Help youth and teens experience intimacy with Jesus. Now, here's how they define that. They define it as experiencing Jesus means Clearing religious clutter for closeness and joy with Christ. There are sometimes, naturally, some religious clutter that we can have in our lives. There's cultural clutter. There's also religious clutter. Sometimes our religious clutter can get caught up in following rules instead of living authentically for Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus is the result of a transformational experience that you have had not from a set of rules that you followed. It was an experience that you, you received with Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't rules to follow. We totally understand that. That there are things that we follow to honor Jesus Christ. But if it starts, if the foundation is follow rules, you'll find a generation bucking against that. If 
The culture that you set is to experience a relationship with Jesus. Teens can embrace that. This is important because intimacy creates identity. Intimacy creates identity. When we spend time with Jesus, we discover our true identity. And encouraging young adults to spend time with Jesus is essential to their faith development as well. And then discussing what they're discovering with them as a parent. Hey, what are you reading about? What are you praying about? What's Jesus said to you lately? Asking those questions and opening them up and preparing them for this world and helping them defend their faith. Now, in digital Babylon, social media is presenting multiple identities, isn't it? There's all kinds of identities out there that are being offered in the mall of media. But this is how the enemy uses hollow and deceptive philosophy in our culture. Because identity, true identity, comes from Jesus. Therefore, the best thing that you and I can do as a parent is get them in Jesus' presence. So I want to encourage you, create moments like that. Create moments like that in your home. Create moments of prayer, moments of worship, authentic and real moments in Jesus' word, in God's word together. Foster questions and discovery of life's challenges and allow God's word to speak to those challenges. And allow the Holy Spirit room to just work in your heart and in your teen's heart. Here's what young people said about their intimacy with Jesus. They said, when I'm with Jesus, I'm, I feel re-energized to take on a new day. They said, Jesus speaks to me in a way that is relevant to my life. That listening to God is a big part of my prayer life and that prayer does not feel like a formal routine, but a vibrant part of my life. That's what young people are saying when they spend time with Jesus. And I believe that Jesus can help them live and have resilient faith even in this time that we are living in today. And so one of the most important things is to get them in Jesus' presence. Second, develop the muscles of cultural discernment. A muscle of cultural discernment. Now, I would say that our teens need this, but I would say we all need this, don't we? Because even if you're older, you're like, this is all new. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So in a way, we all need cultural discernment, but our teens need it especially. Now, what does that mean? Here's the definition of it. Exercising cultural discernment means taking part in a robust learning community under the authority of the Bible in order to wisely navigate an accelerated complex world. This is what we need. We need robust learning communities. Now, can I tell you the best, most effective, most efficient, robust learning community in the world is the family. Mom and dad, you, you. You are the best learning community for your kids because you have the most influence. Like it or not, you do. So this challenge set before you, God's built into the family, this robust 
learning community where you can open the Bible together and wisely navigate this world. Now, young people need this. Here's what's interesting about young people today. They are searching regularly for answers. And they are regularly searching for answers on social media, on websites, and here are the major things that they are searching for. These, these are the, the largest percentage of things that they would type in their search bar about today. How do I handle fear? Sexuality and gender. Depression. Relationships. Suicide and abuse. Those are the major things that this generation is searching about on the internet, on their phones, and social media. Now, we know that on the internet and social media, there are all kinds of viewpoints about these subjects that ignore the wisdom of God. Therefore, it's super important for you to talk about those things with your kids from God's perspective, from God's word. See, the availability of hundreds of answers on the internet and social media is interesting because it doesn't make it easier to live life. It actually develops anxiety and confusion. Let me give you an example. When you take a test, would you rather have a true-false question or a multiple choice? Right? We all know, right? I want true-false. Why? Because there's less confusion. There's, there's one right one. There's one wrong one. And if I'm a little bit adept to the question, and if it's not asked in a double negative way, you all know what I'm talking about? Those double negative true false questions. So you're like, okay, so is the double negative make it true, the right answer, or false the right answer? I can't figure out the double negative on the question to, no, oh, never mind. Just, I'm going to get that one wrong. So teachers in the room, don't use double negative questions. <laughs> but here's what's interesting, right? I, I can probably figure it out. There's less confusion. When there's a whole bunch of multiple choice, I'm confused. It's interesting that this generation, uh, millennials, Gen Z, we're seeing them deal with tons of anxiety, tons of depression, tons of mental health issues. And maybe it's because there's a lot of confusion out there. See, what we think has become helpful has actually become paralysis by analysis. And here's what, we've be here's what we're discovering right? This is super important. Here's what we're discovering. That instantaneous access to information does not equal wisdom. Instantaneous access to information does not equal wisdom. So how do we help our youth develop the muscles to discern what the culture is saying? Well, God's word says as parents, we get to train. So I'm going to encourage you, train them. Train them with the ability to compare the values and philosophies of this world with the values and philosophies of the kingdom of God that we find in the word. 
Teach them how to do that. Teach them how to look at the world and then open their Bible and say, okay, where's a Bible verse that compares to that? That helps me get an answer to that. So I'm not confused. Give them the wisdom that they need to live faithfully in a secular world. Help them learn how to live wisely when it comes to all kinds of things, sex and sexuality, how much time they should be on technology and when to put it down and turn it off and turn relationships on. Train them how to manage money God's way. Train them about relationships and God's good boundaries that he asks us to put in relationships and why God asks us to do that so that we get the most out of our relationships instead of just end up taking advantage of each other because it's all about me. These are things that are all in God's word. And you as a parent get to train them. As a parent, don't just engage with your kids. Prepare to engage. In other words, you know that these things are rolling through their brain all the time. Sex and sexuality, abuse, money. What am I going to do with my life? You know those things are rolling around, especially as they get to be juniors and seniors in high school. So prepare to engage. Read some books yourself. Look up scripture yourself. Prepare beforehand what the Bible says about a subject, what you will say about that subject, how to bring up the conversation, share a life story about how you've interacted with that subject. And then in the context of a relational moment with your kids, share with them. Talk about people that have wisely navigated the challenge of their personal lives in tough situations, people like Joseph and Daniel and Esther and Peter. These are all people that navigated their culture and followed God, lived for Christ. See, to instill cultural discernment in digital Babylon, Christian homes need to become robust learning communities. And so I want to I ask you, encourage you, implore you to have intentional conversation and training with your kids. Third, forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Here's something interesting uh, about our culture and about biblical culture. I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've read the New Testament, the New Testament encourages intergenerational relationships, not all the 20-year-olds hang out together, all the 30-year-olds hang out together. See what I'm saying? In scripture, we see old people hanging out with young people, young people hanging out with older people, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, everyone in unity, everyone together, we see what scripture declares is multi-generational relationships. Here's their definition. Building meaningful relationships means being devoted to fellow believers who we want to be around and become. Here's what teens said. Teens that had resilient faith said this about meaningful intergenerational relationships. They said, the church is a place where I feel like I belong. Okay, how do they feel like they belong? Because this is their home. So when you come to church, think about who you're saying hi to. Say hi to a teen. Like, well, they're not my teen. So what? 
That's the point. Make them feel like they belong here. Amen. Right? That's the whole point. Yes. And we should do that with all with each other. All of us should be doing it with each other. But if you see a teen, say hi. Start to become Uncle Buck. <laughs> Cousin Greg. I mean, this is who we are, right? We are the family of God. And so don't just walk in and walk out. Say hi to people. Welcome people. Let this be your community and your life for, for an hour and a half, two hours on Sunday morning so that we're connecting here so that connections can happen outside of here. The second thing they said was, there is someone in my life at church who encourages me to grow spiritually. You ready for a plug? Here comes my plug. Our youth group AMP has awesome leaders. Awesome. I mean, they rock it every Thursday. Our leaders are the bomb. And they are young men and women in their 20s who are living resilient faiths for Christ, and they want to model that to your kids. So get them to youth group on Thursday nights, and it gets even better. AMP has a whole structure of small groups. Small group for middle school girls, small groups for middle school boys, small groups for high school girls and high school boys. Giving your, your youth, your teen, an opportunity to hang out in a small group with someone who's growing in Christ. And this, let me tell your parents why this is really important, because they're going to probably say the same thing you're saying at home. Live for Jesus. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. Let's do that together. When I was growing up, I had a lot of close personal friends that were adults from my church. And I think it's the reason that I am who I am today. I had all kinds of intergenerational relationships in my life. When I was a middle school boy, John Brandon was in my life. And John used to take a bunch of us knuckleheads, because that's the only kind word I can use right now. <laughs> and he would throw us in his truck and he'd go, he, he probably would have killed most of us today. He, today, he would be considered a desert abuser, probably. He would, we, he, literally, we would just all jump in the back of this truck, and he'd be bombing 35, 45 miles an hour down a dirt road. Just, we're all flying around in the back of the truck. Yeah! Right? And we'd get out in the middle of nowhere somewhere, and he'd take us on a hike and we'd end up at some totally awesome place that you can't see off the road, and we'd talk about Jesus. And I'd have to tell you about Darwin Bible, who was one of our youth pastors, and he would take me and a couple of my buddies all the time. He'd take us fishing, and we'd just sit in a boat and fish and uh, talk about Jesus. And I'd have to tell you about Pastor Jim, who was just awesome. Pastor Jim would ask me to come work at the church with him all the time, and we'd pull weeds together and we'd paint a wall or we'd build something or we'd just do something around the church or mow the lawn. And he'd talk to me about his missionary adventures. And he'd talk to me about the Bible. And he'd talk to me about what Jesus is saying to him that day. And I'd have to talk about Carl Swemberg, who later, when I was a junior and senior in my life, uh, affirmed to me the joy of serving Jesus as your vocation. 
Dang it, hon. <laughs> I just caught sight of Kate and she's crying. Now I'm crying. Because these are people in both of our lives. I'd have to tell you about Kathy Bevel, who every single Thursday had about 30 of us, crammed us in her little tiny house across the street from the high school and fed us pizza lunch and just opened the word with us and said, here's what Jesus is saying today. But before I was done, I'd have to talk about Don Estes. My, my best friend's dad, who died about two years ago. And um, I hung out at their house a lot because we played sports together and they lived across the street. and We would do all kinds of things together. But when you were in Don's presence, I mean, Jesus just oozed out of it. I mean, you just, you couldn't help. You were always in a conversation about Jesus somehow because of Don. And he'd relate it to what you were going through. You know, Jesus is like, how you dribble a basketball, Mark. What? What are you talking about? What do you mean Jesus is like how I catch a baseball? How is that possible? Yeah, he wants to catch your heart. Oh, oh, okay. He wants you to stop dribbling dumb things in your life. Oh, okay. And, he, and then what Don would do, Don would do something for me that nobody else did. Don would hold me accountable. He'd hold me accountable. One time I came home from Bible college. Kate and I had driven from Bible college, and I, before we left, I saw some steel coming out of a tire on one side, and I didn't have any money to fix the tire. And From L.A. to Vegas, about four hours on the freeway, and I just decided I was going to drive by faith. <laughs> So Kate and I got in the car, we drove by faith, and I'm, I pull around the corner of our street, and I'm driving, I've, I've dropped Kate off at her house, I pull, I'm pulling up the street, and Don's out front, he was a mechanic, he was always fixing something, and I watch him, I, he's looking at me, and then I see this, like, <laughs> and so as I pull in the driveway, he's meeting me at the door of the car, and he's like, Mark, did, did you see your tire? There's like no rubber on it. It's just steel now. And I said, yeah, I drove by faith. He smacked me upside the back of my head. So just whack. And I was like, Don, what's that for? And he goes, what do you think God gave you a brain for? So I had these people in my life. And they helped me along the way. These multi-generational relationships helped me understand what it was like to live for Jesus and have resilient faith. And I can say, uh, there's a lot of brokenness on both sides of my family. I would not be the man I am today without these multi-generational relationships. These people that lived out our theme verse, Psalm 145, three through seven, that shared with my generation God's mighty acts and his power. That with their tongues they proclaimed God's greatness and they shared the stories 
of his wonderful goodness. So I want to encourage you, if you're 45 years or older, find someone in our church that's 25 years or younger and start doing stuff together. And if you're 25 years or younger, find someone older in the church that can share Jesus with you. Fourth, train youth for vocational discipleship. It's an interesting term, vocational discipleship. Here's the definition. Vocational discipleship means knowing and living God's calling, especially in the arena of work. Now, why is this important? Why is it, why is it important that our teens know and become adults and understand work? Why is this important? Well, it's important because we spend a lot of time at work. As adults, they're becoming adults, they're going to spend a lot of time at work. And at work, we find meaning and value, we learn and grow, we achieve what we want in life, we make money, we engage with culture, we make relationships, we hear about how others are living in the world, and we decide how we're going to see the world and how we want the world to see us. So a well-defined thinking about work and my relationship with Jesus, what we have discovered makes a stronger follower of Jesus. So that means, as parents, we need to talk about vocational discipleship more often. How you live for Jesus in the world around you and when you go to work. When Barna did their study about teens, they discovered that young people that had a resilient faith knew how to connect their vocation and their discipleship. In other words, they knew how to not live two lives. I have my life at home that I live one way, and I have my life at work, and I live a different way. No, resilient followers of Jesus Christ are followers of Jesus Christ everywhere, all the time, every day. And training them for vocational discipleship means when I go to work, I'm still a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's who I am. See, resilient followers of Jesus understand that God has unique talents designed for me. And that the unique talents that God gave you, he wants you to use them to serve him. And God designs each person with a unique calling in life. And we're to use that for Jesus. Now, you can dive into God's word and find some stuff in there too about people that just use their God-given talents for God and he used them mightily. Like Noah, he was just a carpenter. And God said, I want you to build a gigantic boat. Joseph, he became kind of like entrepreneurial. And in the end, he ends up leading one of the most powerful nations in the world as he's led by God. Esther, what would have happened if Esther had gone to work and said, nope, I'm not listening to you, Lord? How many Israelites would have gotten snuffed off the planet had Esther said, I, I don't take Jesus to work with me? We have to teach our kids vocational discipleship. I'm moving a little quicker if you haven't noticed. Lastly, engage in countercultural mission. 
engage in countercultural mission. Engaging in countercultural mission means living as a faithful presence by trusting God's power and living differently from cultural norms. Engage in countercultural mission. This is what Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter said this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Teens that are engaged in countercultural mission agree with several ideas. They agree that they want others to see Jesus reflected in them through their words and actions. They personally believe they have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. They're excited about the mission of the church in today's world, and they want to serve. As a parent, here's four things you can encourage in your kids. And I can, just, I can just turn them loose. I can just encourage them to share their faith in Jesus. I can just encourage them to serve at church and in the world. I can encourage them to live for Jesus with their words and their actions. Let me conclude with something this morning that I believe is profound from Jeremiah 29. Now, you probably know Jeremiah 29, at least verse 11. You know, the Lord has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, to keep you. And it's such a good, like, feel-good verse. Like, yeah, God's got a plan. Did you know that that chapter is actually the chapter that Jeremiah wrote to communicate with the exiles about his, God's expectations for them while they were in slavery? And one of the things that God wanted them to know and to remember because Jeremiah was telling them, you're going to be in slavery for 70 years. Get used to it. Literally. That's, that's the truth. You're going to get used to this. But here's several things I want you to do while you're in exile. And I think it's fitting this morning that we think about the generations that we are raising and the digital Babylon that they are in, that, they, that we as believers as well are becoming exiles in our own culture. What should we do? Well, here's what Jeremiah said to another generation and I think is fitting for our generation. Exiles should pray a lot. Exiles should be faithful and holy. Exiles should be fruitful vocationally. Exiles should live for others, not themselves. Exiles should remember God has a good plan for their future. Exiles should take epic risks to say and do what is right, even if the exile is going to get thrown in a lion's den. Exiles should realize that God can work in them wherever they are located. And exiles should find their identity in God.
Would you pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks this morning that you are preparing a new generation to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And the parents in this room and that are watching now get to be the ones to help that be accomplished. What an opportunity to be a parent right now or to be in the church right now and be able to disciple somebody else younger. What a great opportunity for those of you that are young right now. If you're a teenager in the room, what an awesome opportunity you have right now to live for Jesus and to shine for him. Lord, I want to I want to pray for parents right now and I ask that you would place your holy spirit upon them that you would help them as they open their word to find things in your word that will empower them to talk to their kids about you. Lord, I pray that you would help parents to be intentional. Remind them that they are a great parent and they can be a great parent and they will be great parents because you are with them. But help them to be intentional. Help them to be prepared to engage. Help them to study and to read good books and to find great stuff in your word. Lord, help us to help our teens experience intimacy with you, to develop the muscles of cultural discernment, to forge meaningful intergenerational relationships, to train for vocational discipleship and to engage in countercultural mission. Lord, help these things to be the heartbeat of our parenting as we honor you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, would you stand with me? I'd like us to leave this morning by reading our verse from Psalm 145, verse three to seven, which has been our theme verse and what we are asking all of us to do generationally to the next generation. It'll be on the screen, let's read it together, ready? Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. Amen. Well, remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.